Okay, it's time for a special edition, fellas, of Inside Curling. Kevin, you're down in mini. Uh, did we wake you up early? I'm, you're set to go, <laughs> Kev? Ready to go. And Hanson probably hasn't been to bed yet. He doesn't sleep at all. We've got your warrant. You're ready to take a shot at all this? I'm awake, Jim. Let's roll one out, baby. Last rock. Eighth end. Up by two. Should we all there? I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. It's clean. Oh, don't kill oh. it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here, guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Well, fellas, another special edition of Inside Curling. The world is underway with a bunch of curling. Kevin and Warren uh, join me this morning to to talk about all that. And Kevin, I can't imagine now how many times you've had Q-tips shoved up your nose. (laughs) (laughs) A lot in the last uh, couple, three months. They're probably hanging out of your face. (laughs) You got to Minnesota, which is uh, one of the things we're going to talk about. Uh, The pre-trials are down east. Uh, Warren's going to give us an update there, and you guys can react to some of that. The United States Mixed Doubles uh, is where you are in mini. Also, we've got the Wheelchair Championships is taking place at the Olympic Curling Venue in Beijing, and we're going to uh, check in on that. Uh, also, a great interview, Kevin, that you did. I listened to it last night. This was uh, You recorded it earlier in the week with the Moet team, and uh, it seems the topic du jour is uh, this tick rule, and I've heard a lot about it now from all the different curlers, and everyone seems to have a different angle. Uh, so we want to hear about that uh, for sure. That was with Moet and Hardy. Uh, both guys were on. That was great. We've got sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Blues, and Meridian. So let's uh, first start uh, with the Olympic pre-trials in Liverpool, Nova Scotia. Warren. Yes, Jim. Well, what's happening down in Liverpool? We'll just do a quick rewrap of what's taking place down there. This is the Olympic pre-trials, and there's 14 men's and 14 women's teams playing down there, and they're trying to qualify two men's teams and two women's teams to round out the nine-team field for the Canadian Olympic trials that's going to take place in Saskatoon in about three weeks' time. So there's been lots happening down there ever since Tuesday. We'll just give you a quick roundup on how it's all taking place. As I mentioned, uh, 14 women's teams, 14 men's. They've broken them into two pools of seven in each, uh, each gender, and they're playing a round robin. And after that round robin concludes today, the top three teams from each pool will advance to the playoffs. It'll start tomorrow, Saturday. The first and second place teams will cross over and meet in the first round of the A-side playoff bracket. The winners of each game will meet in the A-side final, and that'll be the first opportunity to qualify for the trials. The losers of the A-side games drop into the B-side, and the first two that will drop down and play the third-place teams. The winners of those two games will meet for the winner taking the A-side final loser for the last Tim Hortons trials berth. Clear as mud, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> Calculus was easier for me born <laughs> in high school. Anyway, I guess the key thing at this point in time is three teams will qualify from each pool and just review where things sit at the moment. On the women's side, in the A pool, probably kind of as expected, on top is Christy McCarvall at 4-1. and one. Corrine Brown is uh, in second place at 4-2. and two. And I should also add Jacqueline Harrison is also at 4-1. and one. So those are the three teams that look like they're probably going to qualify. Although Penny Barker is at 3-2. and two. She still could make it. In the women's B pool, no surprise there, Suzanne Burt from PEI. She's on top at 4-1. and one. Three teams still pretty much determining uh, who the next two spots are going to go to. Sherry Anderson, Mackenzie Zacharias, and Darcy Robertson are uh, all still in the running with the three wins each. Over in the men's side in the A pool, Tanner Horrigan's playing very well. He's at 5-0, and and as a result, he's already qualified for the playoffs. So he's the first team in. Right behind him is Jason Gunnison. He's at 4-2, and two, and uh, two teams still with a chance for the third spot. Pat Simmons and Mike Fournier both at 3-2. and two. And over in the B side, this is pretty clear, I think, at this point in time, and no surprises here either. Tyler Tardy, Colton Flash are at 4-1, and one, and Glenn Howard are at 3-1. and one. So not too much in the way of surprises there. I think, again, in the end, Horgan, Gunnison, Tardy, Flash, Howard, I think probably one of those or two of those uh, five will be in there. And I think on the women's side, I'd uh, certainly put my bets on McCarvel. I think, other than that, maybe a little foggier. Suzanne Burt, Corrine Brown, I think, certainly are the favorites. So that moves over to the playoff side tomorrow on Saturday. And uh, they'll have uh, four more teams out of there by Sunday. And the Olympic trials will be set for Saskatoon in about three weeks' time. I couldn't think of uh, anything better to save your club, Warren. You were mentioning last week about the demise of a lot of curling clubs, including PEI. Uh, we had Tracy Fleury on. She was mentioning that her club in Sudbury may shut down. But if you get an Olympic champion, Warren, coming from PEI or that club in Sudbury, that might save some of those from shutting down, do you think? It certainly wouldn't hurt anything, uh, without question. If you have an Olympic champion come from your club, all of a sudden you're going to have just an enormous amount of interest in that area. So good luck to all of them. Sure. Kev, you've played in the Olympic trials. When you hear all this from Warren... I'm guessing you couldn't follow it either, would you like? <laughs> what do you think, Kevin, about this format? You know, the pre-trials came in a few uh, few Olympics ago, and, you know, I, I just don't know if it's, it's worth all the extra weekends or rather just go off the rankings over the three years. Over three years, the cream should come to the top. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is the system that we're using right now, and uh, one thing about the uh, the teams that are doing well are really strong teams. So that's good. You know, hopefully the two teams that come out on the women's side and the men's side are excellent teams and uh, and fit into the trials really well. And I don't, I, with the teams that Warren is talking about, I don't see that being a problem. So that, that's a good thing. Kev, you've always said over the last, since we started the show, you've been very vocal about loving the mixed doubles. Uh, and I heard it uh, in the interview you talked about with uh, with Moet, uh, but you've always said this is one of the great events, and you're in Minnesota for the U.S. mixed doubles. What's happening there? Yeah, the Olympic trials down here in Eveleth, uh, Minnesota, at Curl Masabi Curling Club. Really nice club. I've never been to this club. It's an eight-sheet club, and uh, and the ice is excellent. Lots of movement, about four feet of curl, maybe a little bit more. Uh, very consistent, though. Um, just last night, two of the games were decided. Corey Christensen. And uh, Jamie Sinclair on their last rocks of the game drew button, one in the extra end and one in the eighth end to win their game. So the ice is excellent right from the start of the game to the finish. As far as the teams that are they're doing well, 
Sarah Anderson, um, she's only 26 years old, plays with Corey Dropkin. They're at five and two, but Sarah is playing excellent. Corey is too, but, uh, but Sarah is just outstanding right now at five and two. They're leading the pack along with uh, Vicki Persinger out of uh, Alaska with Chris Plies. Of course, everybody knows Chris Plies as an excellent player. Um, now, with uh, Persinger Plies, they play Monica Walker with Alex Lichter and uh, Madison Bear and Andrew Stapura the last two games, and they're both at the bottom of the pack, whereas the Anderson-Dropkin pair have to play uh, Christensen and Schuster and Sinclair Rich Runin. So, you know, right now you've got to kind of give, because of who plays who, the advantage of winning the round robin, probably to Persinger Plies, they will likely get to 7-2. and two. You know, Anderson drop can have a lot of work to do. But if we're going to look at it, it's a page playoff system here. So third and fourth matter as well. And we've got three teams tied at four and three. You've got Christensen and Schuster. The two Hamiltons, of course, at four and three. And Sinclair Runin. And really, they all kind of play each other. So this is going to be really kind of neat as to, I think it's a race to six wins. I think six will secure a spot. If they're is a tie at five wins there definitely will be tiebreakers so it's an interesting situation here it's so much fun to watch though and it's really important to have the ice uh, as good as it is here so mm-hmm. that the uh, the top players can make the big shots and, and that's what we're enjoying so far the uh, nbc coverage we're actually covering it uh, on the weekend the entire playoffs kev what are what are teams going to do now that this is beyond popular the mixed doubles and the fact it's going to be at the Olympics. How are teams going to balance whether they play on their four-man team, Kev, or on a mixed doubles team? How are they, how are they going to figure that out? Isn't that just the big question these days? Yes. One thing I wanted to mention. So the, the U.S. mixed doubles, they came in seventh at the World Championships. you got to get in the top six to be able to guarantee your spot in the Olympics. So the winner this weekend actually has to go to the Netherlands in December and have to qualify there in the top two the winner of this event to actually get to the Olympic Games. So the winner this weekend isn't guaranteed a spot in the Olympics. They have to actually go into the Netherlands in December, compete, finish in the top two, and then they'll go to the Olympic Games. But to your point, asking about how do you decide mixed doubles, four-person, wow. That is yeah. that is going to be difficult going forward with so many new events worldwide in four-person curling, so many new events in mixed doubles. People can't curl every single week all year round or your body's just going through too much wear and tear mm-hmm. and we're going to, you know, going to wear out our athletes at a really young age. So there's going to have to be a look at dedicated uh, players in both disciplines, four person and mixed doubles. I know that's, that's a really tough thing to do because if your country has a, you know, like a, a Bruce Mao at a Gretzky kind of a guy. Oh boy, how do you do, how do you just, or an Anna Hasselborg, or you, you name the, the terrific player, don't you want them to play both? Right. Because that's two medals potential at the Olympics or the world. So, you know, it'll be interesting to hear over the next year or two and, and how these players think about uh, this uh, scenario. But in the U.S., they can play in both. Canada is the only country that I'm aware of right now that you can't play in both. So those teams that are playing now in Eveleth, uh, if they win and are also in the uh, mixed trials in a couple of weeks time they can go both ways and it, i think in the last olympics hamilton did play in both the mixed doubles and the men's at the olympics in uh, 2018 both hamilton's actually yeah becca yes. played in the women's both yes. and matt played in both so so yeah it's a, it's it, that's a great question though jim i don't know the answer i just i worry a bit about the athletes and and their health because uh, you start trying to play two disciplines mm-hmm. at the highest level 
Uh, the wear and tear in your body would be incredible. Do you think it'll end up being a specialty, Kevin, uh, mixed doubles? Like, you look at tennis, uh, at all the majors in tennis, right? And you'll, you'll have, some of the players can do both, but there's many players who just can play doubles now. Do you think it will become something that some of these curlers go, okay, I'm just going to focus full-time on mixed doubles? Yeah, it, it has to go that way eventually. Right now, it do, it's not there. Mixed doubles doesn't carry the weight of four-person curling financially and sponsorship-wise and even uh, uh, the amount of television coverage uh, worldwide. It's just not equal. But when it does get equal, which I think it will because it's such an entertaining game to watch, then all of a sudden the athletes are going to have to go, okay, there's money in both, there's time that has to be spent in both then you're going to have to decide one or the other, I think. But when, when does that happen? Is that four years from now, eight years from now? I'm not sure. People have come to know about this America's Challenge, which is in Lacombe. Uh, three teams, Canada, Brazil, and Mexico. The winner of this will make up one of two teams that's um, going to come out of the Americas. Kev, bring us up to speed on all of that. Canada is in the America's Challenge because uh, the world is in Las Vegas. And so the USA has an automatic entry into the world. So Canada has to earn their spot. So they have to take on uh, Brazil and Mexico, and that's in Lacombe, called America's Challenge. Now, this will be the last America's Challenge. It was voted on by the member associations at this year's World Curling Annual General Assembly that the America's Challenge, which is happening in Lacombe this weekend, will be merging with the Pacific Asia Curling Championships to form new pan-continental curling championships. And that will decide on, out of that region of the world, how many teams or which teams go into the Olympic Games and the World Championships. So this weekend starts on Friday evening, 7 p.m. Mountain in Lacombe. There are a couple of tickets left, actually, for the Friday evening game. The Saturday evening game, I just heard from uh, Darren Molding uh, just within the last 10 minutes. It is 100% sold out the Saturday evening. There are no tickets available. So if you're going to want to go out there and watch uh, the Americans Challenge, get on it right away. Saturday evening, you're, you, it's 100% sold out, so you've, you've waited too long. But the other games, there are still a few tickets remaining. Um, 7 p.m., Canada plays Brazil on Friday evening. So, and uh, Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning, Brazil plays Mexico. 2 p.m., Canada-Mexico. 7 p.m., the sold-out Canada-Brazil. Sunday morning, Brazil-Mexico. And then the last round-robin game is 2 p.m., Canada against Mexico. It's Team Botcher representing Canada. Brendan and company, that's kind of a cool thing because they went to the Worlds after winning the Briar in the bubble and had to finish in the top six to guarantee Canada, not the botcher team, but Canada, a spot in the Olympic Games. And now here they are playing the America's Challenge, needing to win this weekend in order to have not their team, but a Canadian team at the World Championships in Vegas. So a little bit of pressure put on this team uh, over the last few months. Yeah, I was going to say, Kevin, it's probably something you are completely unfamiliar with is being an underdog going into a spiel, uh, going into an event. Canada's got to be a massive, massive favorite in this thing, Kev. Would, would you rather be the favorite, Kev, or would you like to be sort of slipping under the radar a bit when you come into these events? In, in this case, at the America's Challenge, you're right, Canada should win, and the ice will be excellent in Lacombe. Uh, Darren Molding, actually on Botcher's team, uh, is the ice maker in Lacombe. And, uh, and it's just a terrific building. So the ice will be great. So the, uh, the botcher team should be fine, but now you never know. It's a slippery game. Well, we'll watch for that. I was going to go down. Now it's sold out. <laughs> On the Saturday evening. 
Yeah, but there's still a few tickets left for this evening, Friday evening, and then uh, and tomorrow at two o'clock there are a few, but I, but not many. Speaking of challenges, many people have challenged me to get into a building that's sold out. I'm gonna, I, I'll tell you what, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> no doubt you can. Yeah, I've, I've, I've slipped into many places that I wasn't allowed. Um, Warren, what's happening around the world with this wheelchair event in Beijing? Yes, wheelchair curling. It's a topic we haven't talked a lot about, but we will in the future. And for sure, we will have on one of the better wheelchair athletes without question. But the World Wheelchair Championship is currently taking place in Beijing. And it normally hasn't happened in this time of year. But let me tell you a bit what's taken place. So normally in an Olympic year, there's two testy events held in the venue that the Olympics are going to be played in the year prior. One is the World Wheelchair Championship and the other is the World Juniors. But of course, because of COVID, that couldn't happen last spring. So what's taking place now is the World Wheelchair Championship in the actual curling venue in Beijing that the Olympics will be played in. So they're getting close to rounding that up at the moment. It's going to end this weekend. Actually, tomorrow, I believe, is the final game or this evening. But here's how things have have shook down so far. So they played a full round robin, same as the world men's and world women's. And they qualify six teams, just like those two events do, with the top two getting virtually a bye to the semifinal and the other four playing off to, to get into the semifinal. So here's how they ranked after the round robin. China, the host country, was on top at nine and two. And Russian Curling Federation was then in second at eight and three. They were also tied with Sweden and USA, but I believe in the draw shot challenge, they they came out the winner, so they got the nod into the playoff. Canada was in uh, fifth place with a seven and four record, and Scotland at six and five. So Sweden, Scotland, USA, and Canada were into the uh, qualifying round for the playoff. In that round, Sweden very strong game defeated Scotland ten nothing. And Canada, unfortunately, went down to defeat at the hands of the United States by a score of 6-4. to four. The semifinal was held yesterday. Uh, China defeated USA 8-5 to five in the semifinal. And Sweden down the Russian Federation 12-3. to three. So in the final, it'll happen sometime later today, China will be going against Sweden. In the bronze medal game, the USA will play the Russian Federation. That's what's happening in Beijing. Kev, the old... The old- uh, momentum for Team Mo, it just keeps rolling. They won the Masters, uh, the first event of the Grand Slam of curling. They kind of surprised everyone with their results last year being unbelievable. Uh, you did an interview with these guys. Kev, can you put your finger on, Kevin, why these guys are so good? Uh, what, what they do different compared maybe to what you did all those years or other teams? And did they win the final there, Kev, at, at the Grand Slam or did, did Jacobs lose? Well, that's a really good point. That was probably one of the... Uh... Uh, a game that wasn't very well played by Team Maud and uh, probably shouldn't have won uh, if uh, Brad Jacobs makes the open hit in seven and stays to go two up coming home. Mm-hmm. I think that Team Jacobs would have won. So yes, that was a really bad miss by uh, by Brad Jacobs on his last one in seven. But you're asking why these guys are so good. Uh, their sweeping is incredible and they, their work ethic is incredible and they're very, very talented athletes. But... I think you, you just cannot look past the amount of hours that they spend per week, almost all year round, to hone their skills. And uh, it's, it's certainly working there. Now, other than the final, they were usually in the 90% as a team, going uh, one game 96% actually as a team. That's, those are incredible numbers at a Grand Slam because it's not like Team Mowat plays a defensive-type game. They're very offensive. Mm-hmm. And then the shots are more difficult, and they're still shooting in the 90s. 
tough to beat. Tough to beat right now, those guys. To win, Kev, do you have to have some luck or not in curling? In everything. <laughs> no kidding. All skill or what? <laughs> no. In everything. Everything in life. A little bit of good fortune always helps. It doesn't matter right. if it's sport or business. So, yes, when you're on a roll, good fortune tends to come your way. I'm not sure if that's just because of the positive aura that your team, you know, lets off when you're on a roll or what causes it. I guess nobody will ever know that. But you're right. When you're on a roll, things good things seem to happen. And when you're not rolling, it seems like bad things happen. I don't know why that is in sport. And right now, sure, uh, Team Mouse getting a few of the breaks, but the, you, know, you earn that too by shooting high percentages. Jim, the old saying, you got to be good to be lucky and you got to be lucky to be good. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. It's the only way I can get through my day. Uh, Warren, we've heard a lot about the WCF and the three rule changes they want to try at the World Championships. And one of them is this tick shot rule whether it should be in or out I've, I've heard so many different opinions of it and so many different takes that yes they should have it no they shouldn't maybe not in the first few ends maybe at the end what's your opinion of it Warren uh, before we listen to this interview with Bruce Mowat and uh, Grant Hardy well so far from what I've seen of it it helps to make the game more aggressive uh, more offensive and I think anything in the sport that can make more points being able to be scored the better I think in any sport where the tracks people to it is offense not defense so it's still kind of in the preliminary stages we're still trying it out but so far from what I've seen and what I know of it uh, I like it the only thing I think maybe could be changed possibly at this stage is to not make it the entire line maybe to have one uh, maybe two foot spot maybe two of those two foot spots where it has to touch the line in that area to be able to be uh, not removed. But um, I, I think so far I like it, but we'll see what happens. What would you do, Kevin? Yeah, I've enjoyed watching the games where there's been a no-tick uh, rule in play. Right now it is the whole center line, so that is quite easy for, for most uh, leads at the top level. So that's kind of a gimme. Might, I, I kind of like the idea of making the leads earn it to get that free spot. So uh, maybe a, a, a target of some sort might be more reasonable, but... The way I, I just like to uh, to have exciting ends. Uh, it's great for the fans, terrific for the curlers. So I, I, I like the idea of a no-tick zone and how it evolves. That's really up to the sport and the players, but that it exists, I like it. If you're going to listen to an interview, why not listen to the best in the world? Uh, you, we just talked about Bruce Mowat uh, and his team. Uh, Kev, you sat down with these guys with some interesting thoughts uh, on all things curling, including why they're ripping along so well and and their thoughts on some of the rule changes. Have a listen to Bruce Mowat and Grant Hardy. Well, thank you guys very much, Bruce Mowat and... Uh, Grant Hardy here to uh, to talk about various things. So thanks a lot for taking a few minutes. And I guess the first thing to ask is, welcome back to uh, another Grand Slam with uh, crowd and excitement and uh, I guess uh, almost normal-ish. What do you think of coming back? Yeah, no, we're so glad to be back in the slams with a bit of a crowd and to be able to play in front of them. It makes curling even more fun. You know what? I want to ask about... Uh, being named to the uh, British Olympic team. I know I, I saw it on uh, social media all over the place. Congratulations on that. I do want to ask you, I was talking to Tom Brewster this morning, and uh, 
your feelings, I'm going to ask both of you guys this. I believe you're going to be walking to the Olympic Games as the favorites. That's a big deal at your age. I'd like to ask, first of all, how do you feel about that? Walking into an Olympic Games, as I, I think you'll be the favorite. And, uh, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think we're obviously just taking everything in our stride at the minute. We've been together for four or five years now, and we, we seem to know each other pretty well now. And we've played events where we've done it for the first time and we've come away with medals. So we're, we're quite excited to hopefully be able to recreate that at the Olympics. But we always hear that the Olympics is like a whole different thing that you can't really recreate that in any other environment. So we're just going to, you know, take it in our stride and hope to do our best when we're there. Grant, some of the off-ice training, some of maybe some sports psych, some things like that. Have you guys been uh, dealing with that or involved in that way to try to get ready for this? uh, What Bruce just said is uh, something maybe a little different than what you're used to walking into an Olympics, especially as, if not the favorite, certainly one of the favorites. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, it'd be hard to argue that Nicholas maybe isn't the favorite going into his third or maybe fourth Olympics and world champion. But for us, I know last summer we've done so much gym work to prepare for february sports psych's a huge thing for us and dealing with that situation of being your first olympics um also having dave murdoch as our coach he's been there three times and we'll look to him for a lot of advice on what to expect when we are there let's talk about that a little bit i was actually like i say talking yeah. to, to uh to tom this morning about nicholas and and having his fourth crack at it your first the importance of that because olympics is a different bird there's no question. And it only happens once every four years. So to get to be involved in four of them is very unusual. Maybe an advantage, maybe even a disadvantage to Nick. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's definitely an advantage because you'll know the multi-sport kind of environment where you're going to see all walks of life out there, I suppose. And you're going to have lots of different athletes there. But I guess he's also got that kind of waiting for the Olympics to come around every four years. And he's he's still trying to get to that gold medal so you know we're playing pretty well right now and we're looking forward to getting there and then seeing what we can do when we arrive yeah you know what i know uh nick's got the bronze in his pocket he's got a silver in his pocket but he's missing one it'd be pretty cool to have one of each that's what i was kind of talking about there's a little added pressure there no question grant i wanted to ask you about the extra rotation that you guys throw in your stones this is for all the young people that listen to uh the broadcast and to our inside curling uh podcast first of all whose idea was it how did this start because this bit's obviously working very well but who thought of it it's funny like when we talk about it it's, it's something that just we developed unknowingly and kind of the more rotation we put on we liked the way we could handle how the stone was going down the ice but even after coming home from the bubble great results there sat down with the coaches and we're like are we putting too much on it and we had that conversation about how much we want to put on it different events do we need to be putting less on it and you know, when we come to the slams, with the ice being so good and swing as it is, the rotation suits us. Okay, so let's, let's dumb it down a little bit. Because the extra rotation, you're somewhere around four and a half to five-ish. And once again, we're talking to the young kids here. Is it because, I'm asking straight up, if it's because of late finish? And not because of somebody like Bobby, who can, <laughs> who can make a rock finish a lot. Yeah. I was thinking about this last night, and this wasn't actually on my list, except I thought for it. I'm going to sleep, and of course, my brain won't stop. Is it because of late finish or because it won't curl till the breaking point and easy to judge for the skipper? Grant? For us, I think judging the sweep is easier if we all throw a positive rotation. With the rotation, we can almost hold it straighter. And early. Yeah, early. And with Bobby being so powerful as he is, we can hold that on where we want to hit it. So it actually almost takes the, 
the difficulty of when it's going to break and how much it's going to curl, it makes that a little bit easier, we think. On the hits. On the hits, yeah. Okay, on the hits. Yeah. And then, Bruce, on the draws. So what, what I see from behind, <laughs> so what I see behind is that the release, and almost never will you yell hard early, or almost never. It would have to be a bad throw, and you guys I don't. don't right, I hope, right. So you wait a little while. The rock tends to it's almost look like it skids maybe a little bit for a while, but it doesn't move until a certain point. Can you talk about that a little bit? When you know yeah. it's going to move, just remember who, who we're trying to talk to here. Yeah, I think the idea behind the rotation as well, it kind of, as Grant was saying, it holds straight for a, a bit of a longer period, so you don't hear me scream hard early to try and hold it straight because I know that it's going to run for that kind of first 12, 18 feet. And I know that it's not going to break earlier unless something's happened in the the release that's um, untoward. But I'm pretty confident that we're all throwing it pretty similar. And I know that the stone is going to be able to finish if we've got the outside sweeper on the, if it's Bobby or Hammy, because both of them are very powerful. So I think it did work for us well in the Calgary bubble because the ice suited us. Um, it's not necessarily going to work everywhere that we're going. So that's why we've tried to have this conversation about not putting too much on it for every single ice rink that we go to because, you know, every ice is going to be different. Right. I don't want to get into your strategies. We don't want to get into We're on an Olympic year, so I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to dig into that. Mixed doubles, world champ. But I want to talk a little bit about the mixed doubles and I guess probably a little bit of a, a general, your view on how to get mixed doubles. Like, I love the game. and and But how do we make it bigger? How do we... Uh, because it's top players like you that are playing or John Morris or, and, and you're on four person teams that are very successful. And then you play your four person and all that. And then, and then you play mixed doubles. It's not play mixed doubles and then play the four person game. Yeah. How do we grow the mixed doubles game in your mind to be equal with the four person game? Because in my opinion, it deserves it. It's a wonderful sport. Yeah, I, I've played it for a long time now, and I've really enjoyed it. And then I was fortunate enough to get into the team that I'm in with the boys. Uh, and then that kind of took over my probably priority. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago when the British curling kind of program decided that mixed doubles was going to be a, as important as the men's or women's game. And to be able to grow it, I think we just we do need to have dedicated mixed doubles players. Like We're not going to always be able to play both formats. I think the schedules are just going to become too busy for everyone to be able to do that. So eventually you're going to see, or hopefully see, that um, we're going to have elite um, mixed doubles players where they're just going to concentrate completely on mixed doubles. It's obviously going to be their choice, but I think that's possibly the only way to grow it. Yeah, because the situation now, well, look at your uniforms. You're, you're covered in logos. Exactly, um, yeah. And as all most of the top teams are. So there's a financial side of it where four-person teams on the men's and the women's side do fairly well right now. But mixed doubles isn't known for that. So it's difficult to have the, the Gretzkys and the Tiger Woodses of our sport move over to mixed doubles because financially it's just not there yet. So we've had some talks. Uh, as you know, we've had some uh, group talks among the players trying to discover what to do about these things. I'd like to hear your thoughts on scheduling. Scheduling events regionally, therefore, when you guys travel to, let's just say, to Asia, you'll play there for two or three weeks, and then you move to maybe Eastern Canada, two or three weeks, and then maybe some shoulder programming could be done with mixed doubles. Thoughts? It's obviously going to be hard to schedule for everyone that wants to play both formats, but as you're saying, like the financial side to mixed doubles is not there yet we're not getting 
as much sponsorship towards mixed doubles as you are towards the men's or women's game. And for people to go into the mixed doubles format, they're probably going to want to have some sort of financial security that they can potentially win uh, some big money if they're playing those events. But I guess we're just not there yet. And it's, it's something that we'll have to try and work on. Yeah, well, I hope so too, because yeah. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. Uh, I want to talk about the three, obviously, the three big rule. Not real rule changes. That's not fair. The three rules they're trying out at the World Championships. Uh, no t- I wish Hammy was here to ask him. The no tick zone. Grant, what do you think? No tick zone. Probably out of the three changes, the one I would be most acceptable to being incorporated into the game. So happiness out of 10. <laughs> On the no tick zone. Let's start there. Probably have three or four. I'd still be against it. Okay. But... Like, certainly for, you see a lot of people using it early on in the game these days as a kind of defensive way to make sure they score, and I think that takes away from the aggressive curling. So I'd probably prefer to see it. I still like it being used towards the end of the game. You know, you've done all the hard work to to win the game. Why shouldn't you be allowed to make the tick to open up your scoring area in the last? But maybe for your first six or seven ends, not having it changes the game where you're forced to play a different style. Four minutes per end. Uh, for the first five, four minutes, 15 seconds for the second five, but time per end versus time per game. Now, it used to be, you're too young, but we used to actually play time, not thinking time, but actually the time the rock slid down the ice. I don't know yeah. if you ever even played it with that. Was it like 73 minutes? Yeah, or something. something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> some crazy thing. And, and uh, so then the Grand Slams brought in thinking time. Well, that was ridiculed, dumb idea. It's not going to work. Forget it. Well, of course. Everybody now goes, well, of course that's the right way to do it. <laughs> but now they're, now we're, okay, so that evolved. And now thinking of going per end. That's a big move. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, we've played it once maybe. Um, we played it at the World Cup, I think they did it. And yeah, I, I'm not sure if it benefits the game at all yet. I could see like a clear reason to do it, then I would be totally accepting of it. But uh, I guess everyone's always a bit nervous of change. And I'm kind of on the fence with it right now that I'm not, entirely sure that it's going to benefit anything because I, I do feel that the time that we're giving in the kind of game that we've got right now it's it's still quite a big tactical thing that we need to keep an eye on and you're sometimes like seeing that teams only have like two minutes to play the last end that's quite exciting I think that's a great way to kind of play the game but then I guess if we've got four and a half minutes or 415 towards the end of the game then it's it's going to be less uh, rushed and <laughs> maybe a bit more chilled. Because I think it's around five minutes now. They're like when you guys play, it's about f- those last couple ends. It's around five minutes. So it's going yeah, to be hurrying up a bit. Right. So after those first two, I imagine I know the answer to this one. But no extra ends. And having, there's more to it than that, I think. It, having a win, a clean win at three, a draw win at two, a draw loss at one, and zero if you lose the game. I imagine, you're, I'd love to hear your thoughts, because I kind of think maybe it has a little bit to do with trying to get rid of the tiebreaker uh, messes. But no extra ends, that's a, that's a drastic change in, in our game. It's the biggest change that we're going to have and see. It's potentially quite exciting to have the kind of draw shot, because it, it does make a quite a pressured situation for the last stone for each player to throw. But that's probably the one that I'm most excited to kind of see what happens at a world championship with it not necessarily for it but i think that it will be quite exciting to just start to see how the the table fills out i think it's going to be really exciting too and i have no idea if it's going to turn out to be positive or negative i think it's also a bit strange that you could also technically not win a game but you could also still qualify 
if you if you draw every game and then you win every draw shot, it's you get two points every time you win. So then it's you could potentially still be quite high in the table, but you've still not technically won a game. <laughs> if that makes sense, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm really I'm, I'm I'm really excited about uh, about these changes, but it's going to be really up to you guys, the players, to to voice your opinion after a year or two of it to to make sure yeah. it works or not. But I suppose the big question mark as well is is the World Championships a place to be to be trialing them? Yeah, well, maybe this year because uh, sometimes in Olympic years the top teams from countries aren't even there. Yeah, you know, because you, you, you uh, the we had that in our first World Championships. A lot of the Olympic teams weren't at the world. Well, they're tired. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't been through this yet. You haven't been <laughs> through this yet. We didn't win a game in 1993 after my first Olympics because I'd lost 60 pounds and I was just a just a mess. Yeah. So anyway, not to put that into your mind. Uh-oh. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, you guys, yeah, for stopping for in us. and uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, there you have it, Kev. Uh, good job uh, getting those guys uh, and to sit down. I, l- I love how humble they are. What's your take, Kev, on these guys going forward? Yeah, what a fun interview. Uh, I loved how uh, how they dodged at the start when uh, I said you're going into the Olympics as favorites, and they, <laughs> they were dodging off that left, right, and center. But I right. did enjoy talking uh, with Bruce about mixed doubles and how to how to grow that part. And I think that's a really important thing for all the top curlers to think about. Um, going forward with the popularity of mixed doubles growing and how are we going to build that sport to uh, have bigger sponsors, more television coverage, more streaming, all of that. So, you know, it was a great discussion. We covered a lot of territory, but uh, smart guys, smart guys. They see the game uh, through pretty clear lenses, I think. Warren, you've curled your whole life. Uh, when you hear these young guys talk about how they do it and uh, and the discipline they have and all the events that they play in and practice, What's the biggest change, Warren, from the days when you curled to what these kids are doing now as a team? I think as a team, that's the big change. Back in my time, people didn't practice very much. They didn't train physically. I was one of the few people who did. So sort of on on our teams, I was kind of the lone wolf when it came to that type of thing. But it's their whole life. They're fully engulfed in it. And I think hearing how they actually deal with things and how they look at things was very entertaining. What I found most interesting in their comments was the their thoughts on the three new rules. They didn't seem to be too upset about any of them. I think maybe if there was one, they didn't seem to be overly excited, but it was the timing one. But I thought the most interesting comments was about the tick zone. And I think it was Hardy who said, from their point of view, they'd like to see the tick zone probably in an eight-hand game, maybe for the first five or six ends, but it not to be around for the end seventh and eighth or towards the end of the game because they feel the way it is right now, uh, the tick zone should be used as an offensive tool, which they'd like to see more offense early. And then they felt maybe in the dying ends of the game, it's going to influence too much how teams are going to approach it versus from what they're doing now. So I thought that was an, a, a very interesting take, that they thought the tick zone was good, but probably in the early ends, not the late ends, which is kind of the reverse of what's happening right now with the Grand Slam. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, well, that is the reverse, actually. But the problem, I guess the, the, the difficulty right now is a tie game going home. It's so lopsided, um, the percentage of times in top curling that the team with hammer wins. So in order to make it compelling for the fans, I, I think that's the biggest reason to to ha- not allow the ticks in the 7th and 8th ends or 9 and 10, whichever uh, length the game it is. 
So that's the reason. So, you know, I understand their point saying that, yeah, you've earned the right, you've got the lead, but uh, 85 or 82% chance of winning coming home, TVs are turning off. That's no good. That's not what a sport needs. I think the interesting thing by them saying that, and I watched those two games last weekend in the slam and, and saw what I thought was maybe some errors made because they're going to have to change their thinking in the probably the dying ends of a game from what it has been up until now as to what they virtually try to do or what position they try to find themselves in in that final end. And then once they find themselves in position A or position B, then how exactly do we react to it? And I think that's what's maybe lacking right now. And I think we saw that particularly in the Jacobs Mowat game that uh, they weren't quite sure how they should proceed in that uh, final end being up one without the hammer. So I think that's maybe what they were looking at. They know they're going to have to change how they think about this entire approach if that rule is going to become cemented into time. Uh, a lot of the curls we've heard from about the timing rule too with the amount of time where they get four minutes or 4.15, a lot of them said they, they don't like that idea because they want more time at the end. It's, a, you know, they're big events. But these guys, Kevin, went, that'd be exciting, man. That'd be really exciting if you didn't have enough time. Was that predictable, Kev, that they were going to say that? Oh, no. Nothing's predictable when you when you interview top players of a sport. You never know where they're going to go or how they think. And that's the fun part. That's the fun part of talking to all these different uh, athletes because you don't know. And uh, I kind of think that, you know, as the sport evolves, you know, Warren made a good point about uh, the no-stick zone and how you have to handle that. Mm-hmm. No different with timing if you cut the timing down. First time that we went to thinking time away from the long time, like we're 70 some minutes or whatever, I forget what it was. And we went to thinking time at the players championship at the Calgary Corral. The first women's draw, all four sheets of ice ran out of time. Mm. All four sheets, but that's okay. Like there's no big deal because now teams handle it easily. I I don't see a lot of difference here. If you go per end, teams are going to learn how to evolve and, and handle it and to make sure they have the needed amount of time in the later ends so that they can handle big discussions. I, I, I just think, you know, the leads and seconds are going to have to be ready. They're going to be in the hack. Thinking time, if leads and seconds rocks, you should only burn up a few seconds on each one. Mm-hmm. And then you've got lots of time for thirds and skips. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to watching uh, the World Championships this year. I, I will definitely be paying close attention to see how it all plays out. Well, thanks a lot, uh, fellas. Another uh, special edition. We're going to do a bunch of these uh, during the year to keep you up to date on what's going around the curling world. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, uh, Nestle Boost, and Meridian uh, for helping us out and supporting uh, not only curling uh, that they've been doing for a long time, but also for this podcast. It's just great. Uh, the next Grand Slam event, I'm going to get to that one for sure, down in Chestermere, is the Boost National. It gets underway next Tuesday. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. You can get a full event pass, weekend pass, or a single draw ticket by going online to boost.goigniter.com. That's boost.goignitercom Again, full coverage will be provided by Sportsnet starting November 4th. Please note, though, however, proof of full vaccination against COVID-19 is required in order to enter the venue for the Boost National, and masks are also mandatory inside the venue. Uh, you want to make a comment to us? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can send us an email at insidecurling at gmail.com uh, and check out our Facebook group. Uh, it's still lively. It started last year and it's growing all the time. We get lots of great input. So 
Kev, you get back to doing what you're doing. Go get another Q-tip stuffed up your nose. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to have that done now for another three and a half hours from now. <laughs> good God. Good. Well, you're staying safe. So take it easy, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks, Jimmy. 